2019 was about three and a half. Um, that was actually a really tough year for us, to be honest. We were actually down. You know, we, we typically do around four or something, you know, four better. And it was it was a rough one for us. Mm-hmm. What did you do in 2018? Uh, 2018 was about four. Okay. And what do you think you'll do this year? Just under five. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We've got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Robert Cornish. He's the founder and CEO of Richter and Companies. He started the company, which is now bootstrapped in 2008, at the beginning of the economic collapse. Currently, he owns six companies and made the Inc. 5000 list five consecutive years. Today, he works with many of the largest B2B companies in the world. Robert, you ready to take us to the top? Ready to go. All right. So tell us how you're working with so many of the largest B2B SaaS companies in the world. You know, for, I mean, for us, it started, uh, you know, we, we bootstrapped the company, started very small, and it just started to really kind of elbow our way in, quite frankly. I mean, to get to the initial logos, I remember getting um, SAP and getting HP and, and sort of getting traction there, but it was very hard initially, and we had to really aggressively sell and, and kind of fly under the radar on some, some companies, like maybe win a little sale and then get the logo and get in and win some people over. And then from there it kept building, but I, I've been obsessive about it for probably eight years. Of just what's the, to- what's the product though, Robert first. Oh yeah. So for us, we do a lot of video content. Um, that was the, that was usually the foot in the door. We, we create a lot of video content for the sales journey. So when you think about any one of these enterprise level sales that they're doing, they need content to help support that journey. So video was a lot of what we do nowadays. We've kind of evolved to doing a lot more, but video is a big part of it. Yeah. So on the website, you talk about video campaigns, enterprise, and then you list many of your large clients, Disney, Cox, Netgear, et cetera. So did you come from these guys? I mean, how have you landed them as logos? Yeah, just being scrappy. No, I didn't come from them. Um, I did grow up in a business that, um, you know, my, my dad helped build to a significant size over a billion dollars. And and so I think there was some familiarity for me, quite frankly. I, I think there's some lesson there from being close to it and seeing it. And that always kind of stuck in my mind. But um, and so I always wanted to go after those kinds of companies, companies that are a billion plus. And and it just came down to networking. It just came down to cold calling and just doing the work and making the calls and making the relationships. And I think when you're brave enough, just go do that. You can break in and we just continue to break in, break in, break in, make those calls. And I think a lot of people are sitting there going, how do I get AT&T or how do I get this company? But 
you know, the truth is these people are, are people just like you and I, obviously. And, and I know, you know, that you deal with all these people and you've interact with everybody. And I, and I think that ultimately you have to understand that they are just people with problems that they need to solve. And you have to find a way to get to them and, and have a compelling offer. So we'll dive into one of those real stories in a second, you know, how you landed at AT&T, what you actually did to sort of weasel you and get your way in there, nudge your way in. <laughs> I use the word weasel, that's negative. I should, I should no, say nudge fine. your I mean, way in. I guess so. Forcefully push your way in. <laughs> um, but let's start, let's start from like macro level for a second. So revenue, total revenue in 2019 was what? 2019 was about three and a half. Um, that was actually a really tough year for us, to be honest. We were actually down. Uh, my mom passed away uh, and, and I had mm. to buy out my partner in 2019. It was a really tough year. Um, you know, we, we typically do around four or something, you know, four better. And it was, it was a rough one for us. What did you do in 2018? Uh, 2018 was about four. Okay. And what do you think you'll do this year? Uh, just under five this year. Okay. Got a four, eight. And so let's sort of break that down, right? When you did three and a half million last year, um, you know, talk to me about like one of the services that one of your big customers paid and maybe tell me the story of, of, of how you delivered. Yeah. So that was our, that would be our enterprise program. And so what we ended up, we sort of moving away from transactional and moving into what we refer to enterprise. And that's looking at the entire sales journey from start to finish. So when you think about a B2B sale and you think about everything that they go through from the initial contact and the initial lead all the way through to a closed deal, and you start looking at all the gaps in between and think, what do they need if you're in B2B sales selling something that's enterprise? Um, we look at it from a product box cube that we created, which is basically marketing, sales, training, and customer experience. Mm -hmm. And so by breaking that down to how do we help support all those different things, that's what we did essentially with AT&T. And, and it just happened with them that they needed a huge amount of training. So we basically ended up mapping out their sales journey. They were launching DirecTV Now, okay. uh, the product DirecTV Now, and they had like 2,300 sales reps on the ground that needed training. And there was inconsistencies in terms of what was happening and what they were doing. And so our job was to basically build a repeatable, scalable training model. And so we helped do that. To, to train new sales reps selling and, this direct TV program. Right. And the people on the ground. So they're all saying and doing the exact same thing. So they could take those, that series of content that we created. We built out a series of nine videos, some drills and some other things. And they could deploy that through their LMS learning management system to make sure that everybody's doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And those are, there were 2,300 reps you trained on that? Yeah, well, they, 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 they would deploy that through the LMS. How many reps, though, were taking your program, watching the yeah, nine videos, doing the drills? Somewhere around there, 2,300 reps, yeah. Okay, and so, so the, the reason I ask is I'm curious how you build. Do you build based off number of reps that are going to be consuming the content or something else? No, we, we just have like an enterprise contract, a, a budget that they commit to per year. Uh, I think in that scenario, it was two or 300,000 or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't all for that, but it was part of that went to training. What else goes into the, if they pay you a quarter million bucks, what else, what else do they get? You know, some of it's just a la carte, to be honest, different divisions that need different, different things related to sales enablement. Um, but it could be, it, like I said, it could be from marketing, sales, training, and customer experience. So for example, we might be building out, um, when you look at the sales journey, you might be mapping out their sales process and, and arming the team with everything that they need to help follow up and follow through and nurture the sales cycle. We found that on average, people follow up about three times but it takes 18 plus contacts to actually close a deal. So there's a big discrepancy between those two and you start looking at it and go, well, why are they not following up? And you start finding that they're running into call reluctance. They're running out of gas. So these large companies are spending a huge amount of money on, on driving the lead in the first place, but then they're not uh, really supporting the sales enablement side enough to actually see it through and get a closed deal. So we start creating content, whether it's decks, case study material, uh, 
experience trailer content, all the different things are going to help win confidence and, and, and give them tools to say the course and close the sale. And in a given year, like 2020 here, it sounds like you work with what between like 10 and 20 customers, something like that. Well, right now, I mean, you know, we have 200 projects going at any one time. And right now we, we have many, many customers. We don't have like a large agency where they only have 10 or, or 20 customers that they're working with. Um, so we actually have quite, quite a lot more than that. Um, so how many, how many, how many customers are you working with today who are paying you for, for your services? You know, uh, you know, right, right this minute, probably somewhere around a hundred. Um, but in terms of the enterprise contract, uh, you know, it's probably, probably somewhere around 10 or 15. Yeah. Okay. That's I'm, cause I'm, I'm backing into 5 million sales this year, 200 to $300,000 contract prices. That would be somewhere between 10 and 20 customers. Right. And so we're, we're in the middle, we're in the middle of transitioning to more of a, more contracts, right? You know, we want to have, we want to have 80% contracts and, and 20% transactional right now. We still have probably 80% transactional and moving in and, and 20% contract. So that means this code for your moving downstream. You want more customers paying lower prices. So there's less concentration risk. Yep. Why make that decision? A lot of people go the other, want to go the other way. It just seemed to work. It's working for us. And, and it's, it's the numbers are showing up in terms of, you know, our growth and what we're doing. And also it allows us to really invest in the company. Like with AT&T, we can really focus on helping them solve problems and put more people internally on AT&T to deliver better customer experience, better work, hire better talent. Right now we're talking to some, some people we're bringing on board high end 3d animators and, and people who can do incredible work. I think it's more focused and I actually enjoy it better. Uh, How can you be more focused though if the total number of customers you're serving is growing? I mean, no, when, well, when the sorry, I, I may have misspoke. We're we're moving more into like more enterprise contracts. So that, you would be moving. So when I ask how many customers do you have, and you say hundreds, and then you say ten to twenty enterprise, what you're saying is you're trying to get rid of the lower paying hundreds and move more into the only ten or twenty contracts at higher ACVs. That's right. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. Misunderstood you. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. And so to flesh out your team for me. You mentioned 3d animators. How many people total on your team today? About 35 total right now. And, and I mean, what are the main skill sets? Any engineers? No engineers, um, really talented, creative people. So for us, you know, we're, we have animators, we have videographers, we have audio engineers, we have copywriters and voiceover talent, all that kind of stuff. Um, we're not doing any, building or, or coding. Uh, we're doing things like uh, animated animated banner ads and work like that for Dell. We're doing a lot of video content. Again, you know, video is really huge these days and it's, it's only growing. And all the different vehicles in terms of where it can go is, as you know, Robert, what's the, tr what's the trick to video? Like, I, so I have run so many tests around this. Like I have spent, you know, 20 grand on one 60 second video. And then I've shot one on my cell phone and run an AB test. And you know what? Many times the sloppier, cheaper, many would call uglier one performs better because it looks less produced. Like I'm trying to hide something. You must get into this debate all the time with, with your customers. Where do you fall in terms of what video is working today and what's not? You know, I used to say exactly what you said years and years ago. I used to say the exact same thing. And, and then we really started going heavy on it. But I think there's truth in what you said in both angles. I think that, I think that, content creation and, and, and recording on your phone and doing that sort of rough, authentic piece has value. But I, at the same time, I think that when you're dealing with a, a Fortune 500 company and they have a specific pitch and their Microsoft Cloud, they're pitching their Microsoft Cloud, there's a level of 
professionalism and polish to the deck into the pitch and everything that's being presented to the audience. And I think it's very different. It comes down to the audience and who you're communicating to. And they're expecting the same way you would have a polished site, the same way you would have a polished deck or a polished webinar. There, there's, it, it, it needs to say the right things to the, to, in a way that's going to compel and move the audience. And I always say to people that I don't believe that clients are coming to us for video. I believe they're coming to us for communication. Our job is to actually understand who's watching this, why they're watching this, what are the pain points, how to get in their head and how to move people in a way that's compelling. And ultimately that's what we're doing. Um, I think anybody can create a video. Ogilvy is one of, yeah, I would say Ogilvy is one of your customers. Uh, you very much have the sort of new, refreshed, you know, 2020 Mad Men look going on with what you're wearing <laughs> in your background. Do you want to build a massive sort of billion dollar agency here? Or can you sort of write code around some of the stuff that you're doing and build an interesting software company? I want to do the first thing you said. I've always wanted to do the first thing you said. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, and why, why is that? I mean, do you, it sounds like your, your family comes from a sort of business lineage. Is there, where, where's the creative gene come from? As long as I can remember, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was like eight or nine, I'd be writing ideas for businesses. And so it's always, it's just what I, it's just who I am. I think it's always what I wanted to do. I, I, that was the one thing that I really had a, had a strong reality with my dad on. That's what I want to talk about. We were talking about business. And so I had that, I luck, luckily had that exposure. So if we went golfing, I would be out there talking business with other people. And I think that since I was young, you know, I was talking to some of the top people at General Electric when I was like 14. And mm -hmm. I just remember that. And I just, I think for me, I just know it can be done. Um, we now have a couple different companies we're building within Richter Group of Companies. And um, I just think that's what I want to do. Okay, Top Tribe. Many of you ask me all the time, how did I get my website up so fast, so quickly? And why is it doing so well? The answer is simple. I use HostGator.com to keep the thing cranking along. They've got a 45-day money-back guarantee, which is great. I used their free website builder to get the site up because it's ideal for WordPress. It's just what I use. They've got 4,500 templates and a free e-commerce plugin as well and 24-7 support, which we love, right? We love that. I bug the hell out of them. They always get back to me. So I've got you 30% off along with $100 in free AdWords credit. To grab it, just go to HostGator.com forward slash Nathan, but you got to do it now. Again, hostgator.com forward slash Nathan. Robert, is your dad still with us today? No, he passed away this, this year. What was sort of the last piece of last time you talked business with him? What was the, what, what did, what did you guys talk about? You know, we, um, you know, I, I, th I think that he, you know, he just stated how, uh, um, you know, how proud he was with what I'm doing. And, and I think that he, uh, just really respected it and admired it and, and, and just, you know, always encouraged me to do what I, what I love doing. And I, I think that that's important. What did your parents do? You know, we have a lot of uh, entrepreneurs listening who are trying to raise entrepreneur kids. And it sounds like your parents did a great job with you. What were they telling you when you were 13 and 14 that made you feel confident enough to go talk to Dell sales executives that young? How did they raise you yeah. to think like an entrepreneur? Honestly, I think one of the best things you can do for people is just believe in them. And I think that my parents, they just believed in me. So no matter what I was doing, they just kept encouraging me and, and sort of fanning your confidence. The truth is one of the strongest things you can have is confidence. And, and, and that was one of the things where I knew that my parents were in my corner cheering me on, especially my mom. And, and I think that that has always anchored me. In fact, when she passed away last year, that was one of the things that I had this huge gap and, and I had to kind of replace and find a way to replace that. 
Um, cause I didn't realize until then I, I, a lot of what I was doing was, was for my folks, you know, and, and, and you have to replace that. But I think confidence, if you, if you're trying to teach your children, you got to teach them to be confident and, 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 and believe in their own idea and, and see it through and, and not be dependent on you to do things for them. You remember one thing they actually said. So take the theory you just articulated and try and give me a real example of maybe something they said, or do you have kids, something you tell your kids to make them feel confident? You know, I, I encourage my kids to be problem solvers. Uh, you know, I, 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 so I, an entrepreneur is a problem solver. And, and the one thing I talk about all the time, and if you know how to solve problems, like if you, if you become a good problem solver, that alone will help build your confidence, you know, and the two kind of connect. And if you know how to solve problems and you, you read enough, I've read, read, read probably 700 business books. I've written a business book myself. I'm constantly studying. What's the I'm name a, of your book, Robert? Uh, what works? Let's see it. There we go. Wait, hold it up. Give it, give it some love. There we go. What works? Robert Cornish. Very good. I'll send you a copy. Um, All right. I love that. But yeah, I, I think problem solving. And, and so do you find yourself sort of repeating the same line to your kids? Like they'll come to you with a problem and you'll say, son, I know you can figure it out. Or, you know, do you find yourself sort of repeating the same sort of, what is that line? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, absolutely. You know, I, my son came to me recently and was asking me how, how he could make money. And I said, I said, I, I have a million ways to make money. The question is, do you know how to make money? You need to start coming up with ideas on how to do it. I, I could tell you all day long, but if you can't figure it out yourself, you, you need to know that you need to start listing and writing out and getting your creative gears going of how you could make money. So you should flip it around and come to me. And, and I think that those kinds of things, I think as an entrepreneur, when you're teaching children, I think that it's important to challenge them and get them thinking in the right way. So you have the mindset to build a company. And as you start shifting your mindset, then the ideas start coming in, as I'm sure you know, and, and, that's going to help them be looking at things and asking themselves questions. I'm not a father, so I'm vicariously living through you. But one of my good friends who's very successful entrepreneur by any way you'd want to measure it uh, recently shared with me, hey, Nathan, like he, we were just casually chatting. He said, I'm so excited because his son had finally asked for like this, this, um, this like I guess it was a pair of pants that my founder parent would not buy for the child. So his response, he said he loved the fact that his kid asked for that because he could then bring up the money conversation and say, well, son, if you want to go buy that $90 pair of jeans and I'm only willing to spend 20, you've got to go figure out a way to make 70 bucks. Mm -hmm. And he said he could feel his son's sort of brain start going. And the next picture he put on Facebook was his son mowing lawns of his neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> so like, is that important to your kids thinking about entrepreneurship? Don't they have to sort of desire something they can't currently have? And then as a parent, you have to create the gap and let them go figure it out. Yeah, I, I do. I definitely think that. I, I think that all of us are a little different as well. And I think that you have to understand each character, each person, the same way with your employees, how each one is different. And you have to understand how that, what they respond to. I respond to certain things, but then I think that some people respond to different things. And I think that's true. I think that's a great example. If you're ambitious and there's something that you want, and then you back into it in terms of figuring out how to get it, then that's going to help them. But I think other characters are a little different as well. And you have to figure out what is that thing that they want or what's going to get them understand, to understand that lesson. But I do think that everybody is not the same. And so there's not necessarily a one fit all type thing. And so I think the first step as a good parent and certainly as a good leader is to understand your people and understand how they respond and how they learn and then how you need to teach them to get there. 
Robert, as we wrap up, let's circle back to your business. So you'll, you'll be just shy of 5 million this year. I mean, what are some of the key metrics you're tracking as you're growing the agency? Is it sort of billable hours and, 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 and what you bill at rate versus your cost? Or what are some things you're tracking? Yeah, I mean, sales, we, we, you know, we, we, we measure sales, we measure value of service delivered, which is, is the overall value of each thing that we're delivering. So when we're, when we're delivering a, a video, we put a value on every single thing. I see you're drinking the, uh, yeah, I, I got some of those, they're right. super coffee. I, I mean, I could only have a couple sips in this thing. Do you know the brother? Do you know the brothers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With Patrick you, uh, Fortenegger. And then I, I reached out to them recently. Did you invest? Them. No. Uh, dude, I, I came across these guys like three or four years ago in DC from at a friend's dinner. Wow. And I had one and it did not taste anywhere near as good as it tastes now. And now I do a hot, you know, I do a hot coffee in the morning. I have a podcast today. I do 30 back to back. I'll have a coffee in the, my morning sessions. And then I have two of these, one like now, and then wait three hours and do another one. And my gosh, I have plenty of energy at the end of the day. I don't have to eat anything. It's great. Oh my gosh. I had, I had <laughs> half of one. And I'm already super wired as a person. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I could do this. You know, they're going to break, I mean, they're going to break like $25 million in sales this year. It's incredible. It's, incredible. it's really it, cool. Wild. I love what they're doing actually. Yeah. Wow. Anyways, that's super. If any of you guys want to check it out, that's, that's, there we go. That's super coffee. Super coffee yeah. Highly recommend. The, the three brothers out of DC, Jordan, yeah. Jordan, Jordan, Jake, and Jimmy, I think if I get in that right, Jordan, Jake, and Jimmy. So but the, um, yeah, incredible. So you're, so you're tracking outputs, you're tracking sort of value per video created. Um, most the reason I'm asking this question is we have a lot of agency owners who listen to this because a lot of SaaS companies start off as agencies. And one of the tricky things people like when they're building an agency that they're not sure how to measure is hiring people sort of ahead of the contracts coming in because you increase your fixed expenses and then have to pay basically. Well, you know, for us, you know, I, at this point I'm obsessive on, on profitability and income versus outgo and, and kind of looking at balancing income versus outgo and make sure that when I say outgo, obviously expenses, but I think a lot of people get that out of whack and we've got that out of whack historically at different points and it's scary. And you have to make sure that, you have whatever gap you're comfortable. So whether you have a 40% trailing rate from your overall average income, you need to be paying attention. What is your average income? What is your 12 week average income? And what are your overall expenses? And, and having some kind of ratio that you keep in that help that helps tell you when you can hire more people. Yep. Yep. What is, so on the three, five you did last year, were you break even or did you profit some? We profit a little bit last year. Yeah. That's good. And do you think you'll, I mean, are you basically sort of higher, you're reinvesting everything right now for the next couple of years, you probably be break even the next few yeah, years. Yeah. You know what, when, when this pandemic hit, I started getting really aggressive about like, like set asides and building a war chest and all that kind of stuff. Cause that was really interesting. Like I, at, at around February, I don't, I'm usually unflappable, but I got a little freaked out. And we made a commitment that we were not going to fire anyone whatsoever. We wanted to keep everybody on board and just keep going. So we basically 4X'd everything that we were doing. We started, I personally was making 50 plus phone calls per day. We started making cold calls, just whatever, everything. It got super aggressive. And, and we just paid off debt basically. And then we built up our war chest and we're continuing to do that. And so everything that we're doing this year, it's actually interesting enough been a great year for us. What or, debt did you have? Did you bring debt to grow the business early on or something? Yeah. I mean, we had some, you know, we had some lines of credit and different things like that. We had, um, you know, we had about $300,000 in just, in just some debts at the beginning of the year, which we've paid off almost entirely um, from February until now. And actually I had to buy out my partner last year. So that was part of that. Oh, debt. wow. Yeah. And it was, last year was pretty tough, but we basically paid that off entirely. And then we're now, you know, building up a pretty strong war chest and we're just going to continue along that path because you just don't know what's going to happen. And I, I think that it's actually been a great year in terms of a lesson and, and sort of really 
reinvigorating work ethic. Resilience. Robert, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, favorite business book. Oh, that is tough. I'm going to say uh, What They Don't Teach You at Harvard Business School by Mark McCormick. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? I just finished the Bob Iger book and I'm a huge fan. Yeah, the, you know, Disney CEO, he's, he just retired, but I'm just a huge fan of it. it you know, this, what, what he's done. Number three, and I'm going to ask you to pick a tool that your animators and folks use to work together to generate videos. Pick a tool that you use uh, aggressively in that part of the business. You know, all, all of the Adobe Creative tools. I mean, th those are, that's what I hear. You're cheating. About. They're a customer too, but okay, fine. Adobe Creative tools. Yeah. I mean, but they, they're, it's dominant. Yeah. Yeah. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Um, probably eight, eight or more. I'm a huge advocate of sleep. I, I fully believe that. I think entrepreneurs should be getting their sleep, you know, and, and I, I, that was a mistake I made early years and I think it's, it's a terrible investment. <laughs> Robert, what's your situation? Married, single kids? Married with uh, three kids. Oh my gosh, you're a busy guy. Uh, how old are you? 40. 40. Last question. What do you wish you knew when you were 20? What, did I, what do I wish when I was 20? Um, something, something you wish you knew when you were 20. You know, maybe, maybe just that would simply all, all work out. That, that what I'm thinking in my head is actually what's going to happen. And I think that you didn't know there's so many questions when you're 20 and you're going, geez, I don't know. And what about this one about that? You know? And I think that just knowing that you're doing the right thing, just keep doing that. As Richter, we've got Robert launched in 2008. They'll do about $5 million in revenue this year. They've got the business in a very healthy spot, paid off a bunch of debt, $300,000 worth. They're hyper-focusing on enterprise customers between 10 and 20 customers is who they'll work with. These are big contracts, $200,000 to $400,000 contracts with firms like AT&T. They're building videos, uh, drills, and content for those sales teams and other departments that are then deployed through the, those companies' LMS to help get the tool distributed or the, the, part, the part of the company working more effectively. Robert, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks.